0: It's certainly a blessing to be here today. Um, My name's Sean Boss, and and I'm a ministry leader here. But if you don't know me by now, I would would just simply say, turn to the person next to you and just ask them, who's that guy? And uh, (laughs) and if you could do me a favor uh, uh, at the end of the service, take all the answers, give them to my wife, um, because she's always asking me, you know, who do you think you are anyway? (laughs) And uh, maybe we can tabulate all the data and finally answer the question. (laughs) But that being said, uh, you know, again, the season of the Lord is upon us. It's a, it's a time um, of blessing for us. I'm blessed to be here to, to lead us in the next message of our series. It's called A Simple Christmas, but what we're talking about is, is deeper than that. Uh, on the surface, it seems simplistic because in the church and, and really in the world, everybody, um, for the most part knows the Christmas story, knows about Jesus, but the reality is is that it's so much deeper than what is often portrayed in the world around us, and what we're going to be diving into is specifically that. The series that we're in this, this simple Christmas is a series that's looking at three specific promises or three proclamations that are all found or can all be found in a single verse that's serving as the context message or, the context, or the, the context verse for our series. It's found in Luke chapter 10, two verse 10, and it reads as follows: "But the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. It's a short verse. That proclaims three bold truths that when we grab them and when we hold on to them, they bring real purpose and real meaning, not to just the season that we're in, this time of year that we come, come into every year, but also for everyday life, for the everyday life of the believer. Last week, Braden led us through the first great truth that we find in this scripture and that's of the good news the gospel news that the angel of the lord brought to these shepherds that are these shepherds that were guarding and looking after their sheep at night it's this great news that a baby had been born in bethlehem it's the fulfillment of prophecy that is ushering in this new age of grace that we benefit from today and it's been the benefit of all those for the, last, or for the past few thousand years. And, and I want to stop here for a minute because as I was preparing my mind for this message and thinking about some of the things I wanted to say, um, my mind really got stuck and I found myself perplexed, especially in the, in the lead-up, what Braden talked about last week. I mean, the angels are guarding their sheep at night, and, or the angels, the shepherds are guarding their sheep at night and the angel of the Lord comes to them. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm, I'm wondering about God's timing. I'm a little perplexed, and I'm like, well, Lord, why, why didn't you just go to them a little bit earlier, to give them a bit more of a heads up, and, and maybe they could have gone to Mary and Joseph earlier and, have been a, and, and been of help in some way. But then I remember what it was like when I had my two kids, <laughs> and, it, and it really all did make sense, especially when I thought about my son's birth. And, oh, Lord, heaven help me right now. <laughs> I won't get into the details of of the specifics of my son's birth, but uh, one of the things I will say is that I I certainly did struggle. I I remember being on the verge of passing out. I I wasn't doing well at all. And and right at that point where I was a little bit shaky, like an angel of the Lord, this grizzled old vet of a nurse, she yelled right at me. It was like the angel of the Lord spoke. And she said, you will lie where you fall. We will not be able to deliver this baby, Mr. Boss, and clean you up off the floor. So get yourself together. And I'm telling you, it snapped me right back into reality. And uh, I, I, I just was like, okay, Lord, I understand why your timing is so right. Because <laughs> I could just imagine what the, uh, the shepherds would have done knowing that their only purpose was looking after sheep. So, uh, oh, Lord, pray. pray for me, guys. I've always wanted to put that in a message somewhere. <laughs> and, it, and it, you know, it finally came to, so. <laughs> oh, gosh, saying that, coming back to our context verse. Um, the angel of the Lord was bringing forward what was an input. And as with all inputs, they have outputs. And the output in this case is that the Savior has been born, and it's going to produce an output that we're going to be looking at today that is a cause for this great, from this great news. So looking back at our context verse, Luke 2, verse 10, it says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. So the obvious question is, what do you think the output is, church? What is it that the Lord is saying this good news is going to result? Joy, that's right. And not just any joy, great joy. This is that second proclamation that we get out of this verse, and it's what we're going to be diving into. It's God-produced joy. But I find it beneficial, as I was thinking about what I want to say, I think before we get into what this great joy looks like, it might be important for us to take a look at what this joy doesn't look like. Because the sad news is, is that the joy of the Lord doesn't look anything like the joy of the world. The joy found in the Lord is a different joy than what we find in the world today. And to, to kind of highlight this point, I, I found a, a recent Ipsos survey. Um, that It was a survey that they did back in 2022. And if you're not familiar with what Ipsos is, I wasn't until I started looking for data. They're an organization that... Uh, tabulates data in, regard, in regards to marketing, societies, people. They're a research company. And looking at a global happiness survey that they had done, um, what I found, it was a survey that was done in 2022. What I found was that the data was extensive. It was extensive in terms of countries, in, in terms of the countries that they were looking at and the sources of happiness that their citizens found joy in. But the data was also incredibly variable, and it was, it, it was contradictory. And, and to give you an example, if I interpreted the data correctly, it found that in 2011, 56% of the people that they surveyed all over the world found that they, they found joy in their religious or spiritual well-being. 56% of people said, I have joy in my religious worldview." In 2022, this is 11 years later, 62% said they they found joy in their, their religious worldview, their spiritual well-being. And the list was broken down in terms of the greatest to the least. And what I found really sad was where this specific category ranked in the list. It was fourth from the bottom. In terms of percentages, fourth from the bottom was people's Contentment, their happiness, their joy, and their spiritual well-being. And under that, to give you a little bit of perspective, the only things that listed lower than that were their country's leadership. Well, makes sense to me. That's where it would be on mine. Uh, <laughs> social media, moving to another country. Those were the only things that were below that. So I guess I get it. But the contradiction that I found in the data was what, was I, what I found was above it. Again, spiritual well-being your eternal well-being fourth from the bottom. Fourth from the top of this happiness list and at a whopping 88% was one's feeling that their life had meaning. And this is where the contradiction really set in for me, church. I mean, can you imagine? How is it possible that a person can find the meaning of life or meaning in their life when they're not at all happy with their spiritual or their religious worldview or perspective, their eternal well-being? And for me, it, it makes sense, it doesn't make sense, but it serves as a representation of Satan's impact in distracting humanity, God's people, with the temporal, the temporary things that we find joy in. And I'm not even talking about those things that are evil, illegal. There are people in the world today that do absolutely find joy in hurting, in doing the illegal and the evil things. I'm not even talking about that. I mean, to make it practical or uh, to, to make it more applicable to the season that we're in, I found myself remembering a, a survey that, the, that a local radio station did here a few years back. The survey was they were asking all their listeners to call in, and, and they wanted to hear those things that um, brought people joy in the holiday season. You know, what is, it the, what is it that you're looking forward to as the Christmas season comes? And all the usual suspects were there people called in, they were talking about the food, they were talking about the gifts, they were talking about the candy, they're talking about the family, they're talking about the travel. As stressful as travel is, some people look forward to it. It's like the craziness of the season. But then someone called in uh, to this radio station, and they're like, the joy that I look forward to is the focus on Jesus. We, we as a people come together to to celebrate the birth of our Savior. And I'll never forget the response of the radio station host. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, there is that religious aspect. There is that religious part. Just passed right over it as if it was irrelevant. Braden said last week that the world is full of bad news. It's an everyday issue, and he laid out for us the good news, that this, this gospel news of Jesus that we desperately need to hear and receive, and I couldn't have agreed with him more. Looking at what many people find joy in today, to say the world is broken is, is an understatement. The joy of the world is not the joy of the Lord because the joy of the Lord is a greater joy. Now, if I've said the word joy too many times and I'm losing you a little bit, I want you to remember it like this. The good news is the gospel. It's Jesus, and he's gonna cause or be a source for great joy. So if I'm talking in English terms, the word cause is a noun, so we're going back to English class, and a noun is something that defines the reason for something, and I hope I'm right in that. <laughs> Applied here, we're looking at Jesus being the reason or being the cause for great joy in our lives, and it's a source of joy for those who are looking, at, looking for it and those who need it. That's that's how we're applying it. And Jesus does it, and he accomplishes it, not just what he says, but also what he does. And we have the blessing of time and God's word. We get to look back and understand the full measure of this joy, and we even get to witness it in the life of the believer. Sometimes we get to see it on a daily basis. There are joys to be had every day. And I want to offer in this message four examples, four, I'll call them purposes, that we as believers can find joy because Jesus is going to cause or gonna be the reason for it. So the first purpose or cause for joy that we can receive is in what Braden shared last week, just going back and looking at what Braden delivered to us last week, that the Messiah has come. And to understand this is to understand that the pursuit of a relationship, relationship with our creator, and it's really not that complicated many people feel like it is complicated because when I, I hold up this book, this, this, this lifeline, this thing that is my passion, it, it looks big, so it looks complicated, but it's really not. At the heart of it, it could all be summed up in a verse that I, I find is absolutely profound, and it's found in John chapter 17, verse 3, and it says this, now this is eternal life. This is it. This is what eternal life is, that they know you the only true God and Christ whom you have sent. So this is it, church. Good news. It, it, it's good news in that God knows you and he wants you to know him and that he's, he's making it personal. Jesus is here so that we can know God, the only true God. And I'll say this, all other gods are false gods. They're all false gods. There's, there's no life at all in them and they certainly don't have any ability to save anyone. They're actual, actually, they're just manifestations of Satan to to distract you from having a relationship with the only true God, the living God, and so that you can have fellowship in him, in Christ. I like what Mark Driscoll said. Um, He said this in a recent message in a previous uh, series that he just finished up. He said, you know, looking at the the Western world, we we know this is true in, in the sense that we just look at how Christians are being persecuted today. Every other religion in the Western world is being encouraged to accept tolerance. You can't say anything bad about them. But for generations, centuries, Christ is being persecuted and the Christian has been persecuted. And then he said, you know, it's revelation again or fulfillment of what Jesus said when he was being accused of being um, possessed by a demon. He said, that makes no sense because a kingdom divided against itself will fall. So the enemy's encouraging you not to attack his kingdom because his focus is on the real kingdom and it's Jesus and that's where we come in. The relationship problem is solved in Jesus and it goes all the way back to the creation and the solution is enough in Christ to see us through to eternity. Jesus said to Philip in John 14 verse 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So if you've seen me, you're seeing God. God and Jesus, and you can know him eternally. And I want to stop right here, church, because if that's all I had to say, if that's all I wanted to bring forward in my message today, I'm I'm here to tell you that it would be enough. The fact that God wants to know me, or knows me and wants me to know him and to have relationship. I think about that and it just gets me emotional. That's That's enough to fill my heart with joy that'll see me through to the end of my life. But because I like to talk, And there's so much more to say, we have more to talk about. Thank you, God. The second purpose is found in what Jesus prioritized as his number one on his to-do list. The number one thing that Jesus prioritized when he was here was his Father's will. It was his joy to do his Father's will. Jesus says in John 5 verses 19 through 20. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. That's joy. The father wanted to reveal himself. He says further in John chapter 6, verses 38 and 39, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me. That is all those believers that are called to Christ. But raise them up at the last day. So here in these verses, church, our heavenly father loves his son, Jesus, and he's showing him all he's, going, he's doing. And what he's showing him what his father's doing, and we have Old Testament history. This is this is what we have to look at to see what the father was doing. He's pursuing salvation, relationship. He's pursuing restoration with his creation. It's all for us. And Jesus, keeping in step with the family business, he's doing what his father's doing. He came to save in his father's will, it, and it, and it was his father's will. And what was motivating him was love. This was the motivation that was behind everything that was taking place. And because of, the father, because of the love the father had for him, there's no question as to what Jesus is doing and what's motivating him. I mean, parents, just thinking about it from a parent perspective, can you relate to this when you think of your children and, and what motivates you for those, those parents who love their kids? His joy was in doing his Father's will, and I can test, testify right now that it has my heart full of joy. I'm full of joy and thankful to Christ for everything that he's done. Jesus being identical to the Father, he loves me, and he loves you. He loves you. So what about you, church? When you hear this, does, does it do you feel a little wellspring of joy build up into your heart, especially if you've been feeling isolation for a lot of people. This season isn't necessarily a time of joy. It can be a time of loneliness and a time of isolation. And here we have this great news of great joy that God wants to come and have relationship and be with you, to dwell inside of you through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. It has my heart full of joy. Jesus did what his Father was doing. His will for us is to do what Jesus is doing to be imitators of him, and to follow his example. And that leads me into my next point, but I want to highlight this. In saying that, I I, want to emphasize that there will be hardships, there will be struggles. We know this, it's not a prosperity gospel. Jesus dwelling in us is is the the revelation that Jesus will see us through that. I like what it said in Psalm 30, verse 5, when it said, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. There is a reason for joy, even in our hardship, because the hardship is temporal. The third purpose that we find for a cause of joy is the example we see in the life Jesus lived, the life he modeled for us to follow. It's a life that the enemy is working so hard to suffocate out of this generation. The generations coming up, and even the past generations, the enemy is working hard to suffocate it, to, to, to get rid of it. And I only have to look at the latest generation that is coming up right now. Now, Gen Z is considered the current generation. There is a generation coming up right now, but they're, they're way off before they're, they're, they're relevant from a statistical purpose. Gen Z is that generation that right now makes up about 30% of the world's population. 30%. And by 2025, it's forecasted that this generation will make up about 27% of the workforce. 30% of the population, 27% of the workforce. And if you're not sure what generation I'm talking about or what the timeline is, I'm talking about those people that are born between 1997 and 2012. It's around then. They call them Gen Z. And some of the statistics that they, des- they use to describe this generation are rather, rather startling. From an employment perspective, three out of four employers or three out of four managers say that Gen Z is the most difficult generation to work with. They're mainly known for working, shopping, dating, and and making friends online. And I see that. They're most anxious about jobs, long-term financial stability, the major steps of life like buying a home, starting a family, getting married... And you know, you know what it's like for most people when they encounter something that can be difficult or it can be fearful or they worry about it, they're likely to just say, ah, I'm not doing it. That's why we see such a decline in marriage today, I believe. It's just not a priority. If you follow social media and... Uh, like these different apps where uh, it gives people an opportunity to have a voice, one of the things that you'll hear from this generation is that they're very vocal, vocal about wanting to do less but wanting more. And what it's producing is Gen Z is more likely to receive therapy or mental health treatment than any other generation on record. That's what we're dealing with, and it's a scary future because it's a future that's full of uncertainty. Many aren't sure what to do or where to start, and often it comes down to that prioritization again of where your, where your, your, your religious and eternal well-being is. It's low. and But for us as believers and for us who are Christians, we have good news, we have this joy because we know who the expert on the future is. His name is Jesus and he holds the future. He lived a life for us to imitate and it's a holy life that leads the believer to confidently say, my future is certain, it's secure. My foundation is solid. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, he said, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in an appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. This is the gospel news that again Braden shared last week. Jesus came to earth. He inserted himself into the human story, into human history, the way we all enter to pay the penalty for our sin on the cross and to to rise out of the empty tomb. But he also came to be our example our model of what is possible when we put our faith and trust in Him and when God calls us to Himself. It's a cause for great joy. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, when it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. So not only is he our perfect model to imitate, but he's the greatest leader that we could ever follow. He's the leader that you want to be behind. He's the leader that we want to be following. And what makes for a great leader? For many of them, it's they follow the leader because they can relate to them. They understand them. They're willing to do what's asked, and they often take joy in doing what's asked because they know the person asking them has done it themselves. They've been in that trench, so to speak. They know it's possible because it's already been done and exampled by the leader that they're following, and it's a cause for great joy in the life of the believer. Christ endured it. Christ did it. I can do it. He tells me I can do it. Matter of fact, it says that in fulfilling God's call on your life, what it does is it actually completes joy in the life of the believer, John chapter 15 verses 10 and 11 says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. I want my joy to be your joy. And when my joy is your joy, your joy may be complete. When the Lord's will replaces yours, joy is possible joy can be complete. And I'll tell you, church, it's because we have the greatest example to follow in Jesus Christ. So this leads me into the last purpose, this fourth one I want to talk about. That's, it's a purpose that, again, is a cause for great joy that's brought about by Jesus, and it's found in the fact that we find our purpose in Jesus we find our purpose in Jesus. There's a part for each of us that we can play in the kingdom work that God wants to accomplish here. And let me tell you, listener, if you are a believer, you're in the family. And as a family member, there's family business to tend to. Everybody has a role. Coming back to that Ipsos survey that I referenced earlier on the global happiness, that survey I referenced, Another stat that jumped out that I found was rather startling was was where Canada and the U.S. ranked when it came to the joy their citizens found in their employment, the joy that they found in the work that they were doing. In Canada, they ranked 17th as of last year. The U.S., they ranked 20th. And look at that, the state of our nations now, I get it. It doesn't surprise me at all. Why? Why? because I see all kinds of people doing all kinds of things they were never created to do, all kinds of things that do nothing but push them further and further away from God and away from the relationship that's going to lead to joy and salvation and righteousness. And on top of that, we have a whole body of people in power encouraging and cheering them on to do it. In Christ, though, the true church, it doesn't look like this. In our creator, there's joy in what we can do, and it has an eternal purpose. It's a lasting joy. The Holy Spirit, in speaking again through Paul to the believers in the Corinthian church, he spoke of a church that was like a body, an actual body, like your human body. All these parts that are put together that serve each other, enabling the body to move forward as, as one with Jesus at the head. So as an example, my body moves forward because it starts here. When I move forward, my leg's not left back there. In the Christian body, it's like that. Christ at the head, everybody moving forward as one. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 and through 6 says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Hear this. There are different kinds of work, but all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Regardless of what you do, there can be joy found in it if the glory's going to God. God at work in the life of the believer, gifting and equipping for service and work that bring him glory. And on top of it all, the payment we get is an invaluable wealth of joy. To bring this point home, Paul emphasizes it again in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, when he says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. So not only does does God want relationship with you, not only does he want you to know him, but he also invites us to work with him. It's an invitation to play a role in his great eternal kingdom. I want to hammer this point home again looking at Paul and what he said to the Ephesians in chapter 2 verse 10 when he said, for we are God's masterpiece. I love that. When someone makes a masterpiece, it's the greatest of all the things they've done. We are that masterpiece. And he created us anew in Christ Jesus. We are made new in Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. It's not that God thought of you today. It's not like, oh my goodness, I came to a relationship with God today. He must have just thought of me. No, he knew you were going to exist back at the beginning of creation. That's when he started to think about you. And he has a, he has a purpose for you when we turn to him, and it fills my heart with joy. I could speak about this all day. I could talk about it all day, and honestly, I'd like to. But that's why we at the harbor, that's why we prioritize. If you're thinking to yourself, man, there's a lot to do. The harbor has a lot of activities that they want me to be a part of, and there's all these options that I could play a part in, and it's because of this. It's because of what is uh, manifested when we come together, when we spend time together, when we're looking at God's word, and when we're serving and we're working together. It produces joy, and it brings us closer to God. So I'll just wrap it up with this. I'll wrap this point up with this because you may be saying, Sean, you're talking, but you're talking at a high level. What could I do right now that would would be something that God would say, I want you to do this. It will bring you joy. And very simply and very easily, I look at the great commission that's found at the end of the gospel of Matthew. This commission, a commission means I'm commissioning you. I'm calling you to do this. I'm sending you out. It was to make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Hear this, church. Before the first electrical signals went through your brain, enabling you to think, God had plans for you, good things that would bring you joy and Him glory if we're willing to continue to trust Him every day. So here's job one right now. One practical thing you could do this season and beyond. Put sharing your faith on your to-do list. Prioritize that. Prioritize the gospel message, this good news that Jesus has come and it's great. It's going to cause great joy. It's not just for me. I had to receive that joy. It's for you too. Share it. Every chance you get, spread the joy of a living Savior because it will last. It will last longer than the chocolates. I know when I buy my wife those minute mint things, I forget what they're called, just, well, just in time, just a minute. Anyway, those could sit on the counter all day, all year. When those get put away or gone or disappear, the presents go away, the trees down, and we're looking for that next dopamine hit, that next joy, we don't have far to look then to look at what can be accomplished in our faith, with our faith in Christ, especially when we share it. <laughs> to, to steal something from the Griswold, it truly is the joy that will give all year round. <laughs> so as I close this out, and I, and I, I, I want to just kind of summarize everything that we've covered today, looking back at our context verse, Luke chapter 2, verse 10, good news that's going to cause great joy. It's going to be a reason for joy. We looked at four reasons that Jesus... Proves that there's joy to be found in him. The first being that God wants you to know him. It's not that God just knows you, it's that he wants you to know him and be in relationship with him. We can rejoice in that. There's joy also in in experiencing or knowing that when we prioritize the Lord's will above our own, we're doing what Jesus did. And there's joy that's found in it, there's joy that's produced. And we know we can do that, Will, because we have the example that Jesus revealed to us in the life he lived, which produces joy in us. And on top of that, Jesus calls us. The invite is there to do the work that he was doing, which again creates joy. It's just joy on top of joy on top of joy. And it it has my heart full. And I pray this season that hearing this, it fills your heart as well. It's, It's something that can just... It just, it just wraps you up. You know, I had an ending to my message, and I, I kind of scrapped it, but as I thought about it, I was like, no, it's really practical. When I think about everything that Jesus has done for us, in the security, in the hope, in the peace, and again, the joy it produces in the life of the believer, I found myself reflecting back on a man named Joseph, a man that goes back way, way, way back in human history, all the way back to Genesis. This man named Joseph, and when he was young, I'm not talking about the life he lived and everything he went through, but when he was young, his father, he made him this coat. It was an ornate coat. When you read the New Testament or NIV, it calls it an um, an ornate coat, but if you read the Hebrew Bible or the King James Bible, it says a coat of many colors. There's a beautiful song that's come out recently that I, I really love that speaks to it, sings to it. And I can just imagine the joy and the love that Joseph felt when he put it on I mean, I know that his brothers, when you read it, were jealous and whatnot, but when I look at what his brothers did to him, I have a feeling that his father knew the kind of character that those guys had, and Joseph was different. And he wraps this coat coat around him, and I, I have no doubt that every time he put it on because he wore it with joy, his heart was just full of love, and he knew where he stood with his father. He knew the relationship was secure. And for us in Christ, the coat that we wear is a grace coat. It's a coat that reminds us that we are valuable, that we mean something, that we have purpose, and that we can accomplish great things because of a great Father who loves us so much and we celebrate that love and the birth of His Son, Jesus Christ, not just this time of year, but again, we want to celebrate it every day of our life. And I'll finish with this, a beautiful verse that I found. David knew this well. David knew it. And when he wrote this verse in Psalm 23, verse 6, I believe it's again man, a manifestation of, of who God is in this relationship when he said, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. You will be with me every day. And when my time comes to an end here, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that a joyful end? It, there's no end. Amen, church?